This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here again is Dan Loney. Hour number two of Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132. Business Radio powered by the Wharton School. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. Our series 2019 Look Ahead continues with a look at immigration. The current government shutdown linked to that topic is President Trump demanding over $5 billion to build a wall along the U.S. southern border with Mexico. Still, tens of thousands are fleeing the violence in Central American countries and asking for U.S. asylum. Fallout continues over the Trump administration's policy to separate families. The investigation into how two Guatemalan children died in U.S. custody is ongoing, and many lawmakers are still trying to get a deal for the dreamers undocumented immigrants brought to the u.s as minors so what can we expect in terms of immigration and potential change in 2019 joined in studio by sarah paoletti director of the transnational legal clinic here at the university of pennsylvania and uh, joining us on the phone is stephen yale lair who's a professor of immigration law practice at cornell university happy new year sarah great to see you great to see you Stephen, great to have you with us today. Thank you, sir, for Thank your time. You. Thank you. Looking forward to it. So I, I guess let's start with the political side of it. And, and how much do you think the change in dynamic in Washington, D.C., Sarah, could potentially have an impact on some of these issues we see around immigration? Well, we could have a deadlock basically all year because of this stalemate about the border wall, or it could provide an opportunity for some real movement People in Congress, for example, are saying that if we could combine funding for border security plus some relief for the DACA recipients and maybe some protection for people who currently have temporary protected status, we could actually see some movement on immigration. I hope that would be the case, but politically I think we may be (laughs) unlikely to achieve that. Sarah? I think that's right. I mean, listening to the stories out of D.C., already people are talking about the 2020 elections, right, and what senators are up for re-election in 2020 and what they're afraid of. And and the mantra and the messaging around the wall is is gotten so powerful and so divisive. But I do think that that there is a push and, and there are members of Congress who really want to see something positive happen and a push to remind us of what our values are as a country around immigration and, and the historic sort of values around family um, that have been dismissed. And so I would hope that as the courts continue to act, but also as the courts continue to, to, to try to sort of hold the line, Congress will step up at least with regard to to the Dreamers and and the DACA recipients and create a resolution. There. Stephen, the, the the thing I, as I sit back and I, I've been watching this now for a while, I think a lot of people ha- have really are, are disappointed that this has taken this long and we've only gotten to this point. And obviously, the the dynamics in Washington D.C. play a a significant role in this uh, in this back and forth. But again, this is something I think a lot of people would have hoped would have been established policy that we can move forward with uh, quite a long time ago. Well, on the one hand, yes, I think that if you talk to average Americans, most of them will say, yes, we want to have some restraints, but we also want to have common sense reform. But historically, it's been very hard to move immigration through Congress, even in the good old days. 
The last major change to our legal immigration system was in 1990. And the world has changed significantly against that uh, since then, but our immigration system is not. The last time we had a legalization program was in 1986. Congress came close in 2013 with a comprehensive immigration reform package that was passed bipartisanly through the Senate. It was 1,200 pages long, but it failed to clear the House. So um, it's just been historically hard to get immigration through co- any Congress, right. and it's become only harder in this more politicized environment. And obviously this is playing out now not only with Congress, Sarah, but w- with a lot of parts of society right now. And I know we've talked to you over the course of the last couple of years about the impact that's having with students here at the University of Pennsylvania, and it's also having similar effect at college campuses, universities around the United States right now. It's absolutely having an impact on universities across the country, both in terms of anxiety among student populations, right, who are who are DACA recipients or who missed the DACA cutoff, right, who are part of mixed status families, who are increasingly anxious and seeing opportunities cut off for them. Um, as we look at sort of students who have come through who think they're going to go through the traditional sort of STEM route to gain a visa for long-term employment and opportunities towards legalization, those windows seem to be narrowing or getting more expensive and more difficult to achieve. Um, and so as a result, both in terms of sort of the impact it's having and our ability to recruit the best and the brightest um, and to, to run programs, right? Our programs are going to be shrinking if the opportunities that a degree at the in the United States creates for you are more limited. Steve? And we see that in the actual enrollment numbers. For the first time in a decade, applications by international students are declining. It's not affecting prestigious universities like uh, Penn and Cornell, but some of the second-tier universities are seeing a steep drop-off in the number of international students applying to come to the United States because of this anti-immigrant sentiment in the country. And that's affecting us economically. Students provide over $43 billion a year in economic benefit to the United States and create over 400,000 jobs for U.S. workers directly and indirectly. And so to the extent that we're making it harder for them to come to the United States, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. What is it, do you think, then, then is, is really the the goal that the Trump administration is trying to do by trying to change some of the statuses of students who are trying to get these visas, Sarah? You know, I, I wish I thought that they were thinking that far in advance, right, that right. far ahead, right? I think this administration is very much motivated by a, a rallying cry among the base to restrict immigration and general xenophobia. Uh, and and that, when you sort of break it down and you ask specific questions about specific people, you always get, well, yes, that should be, or that should be, or that's, of course, that's okay. And, and you realize that, that no, in the sort of the rhetoric and the way that immigration is being approached, all of those people are getting captured in ways that I don't think this administration is actually thinking through. Stephen? Yeah, and I agree. I think the Trump administration, as we see in the shutdown, has had problems in building a physical wall to protect us against immigrants, but they've done a good job uh, in creating an invisible wall. Well, first with the Muslim travel ban cases and then with uh, restrictions on student visas. We see it also in the H-1B temporary worker visa category where just administratively they are coming up with more restrictive interpretations of who qualifies to get a work visa. 
So, for example, you know, if you see a 41% increase in the request for additional evidence for that category of visa. So, in a variety of ways, this administration has done a good job in restricting legal immigration, even while they've had problems restricting illegal immigration through their efforts to build a wall. And, and it, it plays, in some cases, kind of a dual role here, because I was reading recently that not only are you going to have more issues with H-1B visas, but they're also talking about H-4 visas for the spouses of people that that are dealing with and are trying to get the H-1B visa as well. Right. And this comes back to what we've seen over over the course of this administration of a complete undermining of our values in terms of, you know, the Republican Party was the the, the family values party, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, and the value of family and family unification has completely been decimated in the context of immigration. First with family separation, sort of the most dramatic example of that, but absolutely restrictions on who gets to come with, you know, who in the family gets to join another family member when they're allowed into this country to work or for other purposes is having is having that impact. And I guess Stephen that that could also play a role at, at some point down the road on on what policy we actually have in place on things like asylum because obviously it's it's drawing a lot of attention right now of what's going on at the at the uh, at the southern border. That's right, and certainly the administration is trying to unilaterally change the rules for asylum. Former Attorney General Jeff Sessions last summer came out with a couple of rulings that made it harder to meet the eligibility requirements for asylum. So far, courts have struck that down as being going too far, but the administration is trying to unilaterally make it harder to win asylum. And really, if we want to have that kind of debate, it really needs to be Congress to enact changes to our asylum and other immigration statutes. Are are you confident that we will see movement on DACA this year, Stephen? No, I am not. Uh, Like Sarah, I think that the 2020 elections will make it even harder than normal to get some movement on any immigration issues. DACA is probably the easiest of any because I think most people are sympathetic to their plight. But I think that because of the looming uh, 2020 elections, we're unlikely to see anything unless something happens in the next couple of weeks as part of a solution to the partial government shutdown. Which is interesting because I, I, as somebody that you know watches politics from the outside, I would think it might even be the opposite for a little while because these are politicians. You said, Sarah, many of them will be up for reelection, and if you want to get reelected in twenty twenty, maybe one of the things to do is find a way to solve this problem and, and get the right policies in place. I think that's right. I think the problem is there's never agreement as to what those right policies are. Sure. Um, But I do have some more hope on on a solution for the DACA students only because I think there is a realization and a a growing acceptance among the immigrant advocacy community that under this administration, we will not get a president to sign a bill that involves broader comprehensive immigration reform. So some of the things that that we were looking at in 2013 are not going to be feasible. And so I think folks who were sort of hoping that DACA would, were sort of not willing to split off DACA because they wanted to to achieve more, um, are realizing that if we can get DACA uh, and and relief for the DACA recipients and, and that broader community, um, we will have accomplished something very important. And, and DACA, going back a year or so ago, that was the thing that was discussed surrounding immigration for such a long period of time. And now it's almost seemed like it has kind of been pushed to the side to a degree. 
It's it's right. It's it's what we've seen with this administration. A new fireball gets thrown every day and the, the burning forest fire behind us keeps burning. Right. And people forget who are the victims in that earlier forest fire. Um, and so that's that's where we are. And I think it's important that we not forget um, that there is bipartisan support for relief for the DACA recipients and that they are still desperately in need of some form of legal relief. Steve, do you see the fireballs as well? Absolutely. Every week there's something new. Uh, For example, one thing we have not discussed yet is the fact that the administration came out with a new proposed rule to restrict uh, who is eligible for a green card based on whether they receive any public benefits. Um, And even though that's only a proposed rule and it's not become final yet, it has scared immigrants so significantly that federal agencies are reporting a dramatic drop in requests for benefits these days among immigrants because they worry that if they accept any federal benefits, even though they would be allowed under this rule, they may not be able to get a green card. So that was the fireball of a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. You know, every week we seem to have a new one. Uh, we haven't even talked about um, all the litigation that's going yeah. on and whether that's going to have a significant impact and whether the Supreme Court's going to address any of these issues. Well, and that was going to be one of the things I wanted to touch on anyway, because there is uh, quite a bit of conversation already, Stephen, the fact that some people believe that, that this issue around DACA and because of the court cases, that it may end up in the lap of the Supreme Court at some point later this year. Oh, absolutely. The government is trying to expedite these cases. For example, so far the federal courts have struck down the Trump administration's efforts to terminate DACA, and the Supreme Court this week will take up a request by the Trump administration to expedite uh, their review even before some of the other federal courts take up the matter. And so they're trying to jump leapfrog the normal route where you get considered decisions by appellate courts before the Supreme Court then decides whether to take up the cases. Um, We see that also in terms of the census cases, um, where the Supreme Court may jump in earlier than normal. So the Trump administration is doing a lot on litigation uh, to advance its agenda, and we'll see what the courts do to hold things up. But we also have the dynamic of having the, the, the new court. Uh, with Justice Kavanaugh now on the on the bench, uh, and so I'd be interested to get your, your thoughts on these issues surrounding immigration. How that new dynamic of, of the Supreme Court do you think is going to play out, Stephen? I don't know yet. I mean, I want to give Justice Kavanaugh the you know time. Uh, he has not spoken a lot or written a lot before on immigration. He's considered to be a true blue conservative, but again. Immigration is different. Sometimes you get uh, judges, justices like Scalia, who would come out in favor of immigrants because of their sort of bright line approach toward interpreting statutory terms. So I don't know how Kavanaugh will come out overall on immigration. Um, you know, Chief Justice Roberts seems to be more of a moderate these days on some immigration issues. So it still could be a very interesting Supreme Court dynamic on immigration issues. Sarah. I think the courts are ultimately going to look to Congress to act, right? I mean, I think there are a lot of issues like the question of DACA, where DACA was never intended to be a permanent solution, right? right? DACA was intended to be a temporary fix until Congress acted. And I I suspect the courts will look to Congress. And and Congress, I think, is sort of not dealing with this because they don't have to, right? The courts are allowing uh, DACA to continue, and so it's not 
squarely in Congress's lap, and I think the courts are going to look to Congress but to act. this has already been one of the things that uh, that House Democrats have already talked about that they want to put at the top of their agenda as they are now uh, taking control of the House of Representatives. They want to start to push some of these issues forward to try and get some resolution here. Right. I think that's right. And, you know, where I think it's going to be more problematic is in issues of immigrant detention, uh, and so their case is still working their way through the courts where the, you know, whether we can indefinitely detain somebody who is in proceedings uh, and in immigration proceedings, civil immigration proceedings. And yeah. the court said, we're not ruling on the constitutional issue and sent it back to the to the Ninth Circuit to rule on the constitutional issue. And now it's going to work its way back. And I think those are the areas where I'm more concerned, where where the courts will. Uh, I am I am concerned that this Supreme Court will will sort of uh, rubber stamp increased restrictions on the rights of immigrants. Right. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Stephen, you also have to uh, look at uh, some of the issues surrounding uh, some of the so-called sanctuary cities and the funding that uh, the federal government has wanted to try and hold back from them because of of designating themselves as such. Absolutely. And so far, the lower federal courts have been unanimous in rejecting those efforts by the Trump administration to restrict funding for so-called sanctuary jurisdictions. Again, that's something that the Supreme Court may ultimately have to take up, but for the time being, the Trump administration is batting zero when it comes to trying to restrict funding for those uh, kinds of localities and states. It does seem, at least in the early going, Stephen, that uh, even with Jeff Sessions no longer as the attorney general, uh, that Matthew Whitaker, at least right now, is the acting attorney general. It, it seems like he's following some of the patterns that, that Jeff Sessions had kind of laid down, correct? Absolutely. I don't see any difference between uh, Whitaker and Sessions on immigration issues. Um, and, you know, they're marching ahead trying to restrict immigration in a variety of ways, including DACA, including sanctuary, including the public charge rule. So it's going to be a continuing battle throughout 2019. Sir? I think that's right. And we'll see what happens if Barr gets uh, gets appointed sure. as Attorney yeah. General, sort yeah. of where he's going to fit in with this, right? He comes out of the the Bush years, which was a, a little bit more receptive on certain areas in immigration. And, and we'll see whether this becomes sort of his rallying cry in the same way that it was for Sessions and has been carried forth uh, by Whitaker. But again, you're, you're talking about uh, somebody running the attorney general's office that may have one view on a particular policy where you have people that have the ear of the president, Stephen Miller being one of them, that has obviously quite a, quite a different view on, on immigration right now. And that, that is the dynamic that is at play here right now. Right. And we'll see whether there ends up being any sort of tug of war between the Department of Justice and the White House. Clearly, Department of Homeland Security has fallen in line. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so uh, whether that will continue and whether the Department of Justice will sort of decide to hold the line at a certain point um, or whether it will. I mean, Sessions, I think he he followed along with with Trump in many ways and he went beyond what he needed to do how important in your mind now then with all of these issues moving forward does the investigations and potentially the court cases regarding especially the kids that that lost their lives uh the Guatemalan children that lost their lives down at the border right now that i think becomes a, a, a potentially a key moment here in this whole process 
It is. And already you see the messaging, right? Is it the fault of the parents, right? Who's yeah. responsible for the for the for the health and safety of these children? And clearly they were in the custody of the US government, right? Customs and Border Patrol yeah. had them in their custody and Customs and Border Patrol is responsible. Um but it goes back to something that we even saw in the Obama administration of how do we sort of deter people before they come into the country, before they make these dangerous trips. Um, and so if detention as deterrence continues, uh, we will continue to see uh, violations, abuses, and and I fear in, uh, additional fatalities, right? And I think it's also important to note that we had these two very tragic deaths by customs in, in the custody of Customs and Border Patrol of children. But what's not getting attention is the deaths of immigrants in detention across the country that have yeah. been going on for the past couple of years. Yeah. Uh, and so in Georgia, we had three deaths in the span of, of almost a year uh, of immigrants who were in detention under ICE's custody. Uh, and so it is important for us to pay attention to, as we're looking towards increased attention, what is the care that is being provided? And that's another element to this as well, Stephen, is ICE. And there's obviously been a lot of questions uh, uh, in the recent months about uh, what job they are actually doing and where their role is in this entire process moving forward. There's been calls for, for disbanding ICE. Where Where are you on that? Um, well, first, I don't think those calls are going to go anywhere. We haven't seen Democrats recently raise that. I think that's a red herring. Okay. We do need immigration enforcement, but we need to have smart immigration enforcement. And certainly this administration has let loose uh, the enforcement dogs of ICE to go after immigrants willy-nilly, arrests of immigrants who have not committed any crimes but simply are here who have overstayed, have increased dramatically under this administration. And so I think we're really misfocused on the types of people that we should be going after. The New York Times uh, Sunday Magazine yesterday had a great article about a high school student who had not been committed of any crimes but had still had been deported simply because he was uh, had drawn some tattoos or horns in the class. So I think we need to have smarter immigration enforcement, and we're always going to have an immigration enforcement agency but we need to have some parameters. We're never going to be able to round up 11 million undocumented people and deport them all. We need to have some priorities. The prior administration did have some priorities, and we need to get back to those. Sir? I think that's right. And I also think it's important to come back to who are the individuals, right? And I think uh, we we will never have the resources to deport 11 million undocumented individuals. We will never have the political will or the desire to deport all of those individuals who comprise that 11 million, right? right. We, we sort of throw out this number, 11 million, uh, but when you break it down and talk about sort of who are the people in your community who you're talking about, when you talk on a one-on-one -on -one individual basis, the reaction is very different. But the, the part of this is also just the process of, of trying to become a citizen right. and, and the fact that it, that process alone has become so dragged out, so drawn out over, over the, uh, the last several years. And, and that's part of the policy th uh, aspect to this, of, of trying to fix the system that's in place instead of having people waiting two, three, four years, whatever that length of period of time is, try and set it up so that it is somewhat of a timely, timely fashion, six months, whatever that, that number needs to be. That's absolutely right. And so I think we do need to look at sort of what is the backlog, what is the system, what are the caps, what are all of the reasons for these delays and the processing of applications. Some of it is numerical caps in a variety of visa categories. Some of it is just 
bureaucracy. Yeah. Uh, and under resourced USCIS is exclusively fee funded, right? So, so they are limited in terms of what they process based on the fees they bring in. Uh, but now we have the government shutdown, right? So the immigration yeah. courts are closed except for detained dockets. And so individuals who are non-detained, who are seeking asylum through the court system um, or seeking other forms of relief through the court system are now going to be pushed further into the backlog. The increased enforcement at the border means that asylum officers are being detailed to do credible fear interviews at the border or at detention centers. And so the asylum process system is going into a, a more significant backlog. Uh, and so we're rather than seeing sort of an expedited process for seeking relief, um, the sort of emphasis on expedited removal is really just delaying the process for everybody. Steve? Yeah, it really focuses the attention on we need comprehensive immigration reform. There's many broken parts uh, to the immigration system, and just trying to fix one of them, whether it's asylum or legal immigration, is not going to work. We need to have an overall approach. The Senate tried to do this in 2013. It's difficult, but I think we need to have a national conversation about what is the role of immigration and when immigration can help. Uh, the United States so that we can come up with a new overall comprehensive framework. And then I think we can start to untangle some of the mess that we've gotten ourselves into. Great having you both with us today. Sarah, great seeing you. Happy New Year to you. Stephen, thank you for your time today, sir. Thank you. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 